Hey friends, welcome to Moments to Ponder. This is a podcast designed to help you spend a few moments in God's Word, breathe, and take away something to ponder. I'm Betsy Marvin, and I'm grateful for these few moments we have together to ponder the Book of Esther. This is Episode 71. As we begin Chapter 3, a new character enters our story, Haman. Sometime later, King Xerxes promoted Haman, son of Madatha, the Agai, over all the other nobles, making him the most powerful official in the empire. All the king's nobles would bow down before Haman to show him respect whenever he passed by, for so the king had commanded. But Mordecai refused to bow down and show him respect. Let's pause here for a moment. It has been five years since Esther has become queen. During this time, Haman has been working his way up the political ladder to become the most powerful official in Persia. He is King Xerxes' right-hand man. We continue in verse 3. Then the palace officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, Why aren't you disobeying the king's command? They spoke to him day after day but still he refused to comply with the order. So they spoke to Haman about this to see if he would tolerate Mordecai's conduct, since Mordecai had told them he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow down or show him respect, he was filled with rage. He had learned of Mordecai's nationality, so he decided it was not enough to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Instead, he looked for a way to destroy all the Jews throughout the entire empire of Xerxes. This seems harsh and large, but the writer lets us know that Haman is an Agagite, a descendant of Agag, who was the king of the Amalekites, the people who were known as Israel's sworn enemy for generations. In Exodus 17, we learn that the Amalekites were the descendants of Amalek, who was the grandson of Esau, one of the sons of Isaac. The Amalekites were enemies of the people of God, and God had declared that he would have war with Amalek for generation to generation. There would be no peace. But God declared that the day would come when he would wipe out the remembrance of Amalek from the face of the earth. In the book of 1 Samuel, during the reign of King Saul, God ordered the king to destroy the Amalekites and to take no plunder. But Saul did save some of the loot and took King Agag captive. Samuel the prophet kills Agag, but because Saul disobeyed God, it cost him his throne. When we know this part of history, we can see the root of the clash between Haman and the Jews. It goes way back in his family story. Now, from the earlier chapter, we know that Mordecai is from the family of King Saul, which would have only amplified Haman's feelings toward him. Now, historically, Persians were very conscious of social class and had strict protocols in place. Kneeling or bowing was a natural sign of respect, and the Israelites usually had no issues with this kind of demonstration. Yet Mordecai won't kneel or honor Haman. Whether this is due to Haman's character or the ethnic clash between the Jews and the Amalekites isn't really known. 
But when Haman's officials inform him of Mordecai's behavior, Haman looks for him and sees this little Jew standing when everyone else is bowing, a Jew that would not give him reverence. Haman's extreme pride and insecurity are shown here in stark contrast to Mordecai's humble and solid faith. This brings Haman to his actions in verse 7. So in the month of April, during the twelfth year of King Xerxes' reign, lots were cast in Haman's presence. The lots were called Purim, to determine the best day and month to take action. And the day selected was March 7, nearly a year later. Now remember the word Purim because it will come into play later. Okay, verse 8. Then Haman approached King Xerxes and said, There's a certain race of people scattered throughout all the provinces of your empire who keep to themselves separate from everyone else. Their laws are different from those of any other people, and they refuse to obey the laws of the king. So it is not in the king's interest to let them live. If it please the king, issue a decree that they be destroyed, and I will give 10,000 large sacks of silver to the government administrators to be deposited in the royal treasury. You should know that 10,000 sacks of silver was an incredibly large amount, like millions of dollars in today's numbers. Verse 10. The king agreed, confirming his decision by removing his signet ring from his finger and giving it to Haman, son of Mendatha the Agai, the enemy of the Jews. The king said, the money and the people are both yours to do with as you see fit. So, on April 17, the king's secretaries were summoned, and a decree was written exactly as Haman dictated. It was sent to the king's highest officers, the governors of the respective provinces, and the nobles of each province in their own scripts and languages. The decree was written in the name of King Xerxes and sealed with the king's signet ring. Dispatches were sent by swift messengers into all the provinces of the empire, giving the order that all Jews, young and old, including women and children, must be killed, slaughtered, and annihilated on a single day. This was scheduled to happen on March 7 of the next year. The property of the Jews would be given to those who killed them. Do you see a small echo of the story from 1 Samuel there? Verse 14. A copy of this decree was to be issued as law in every province and proclaimed to all peoples, so that they would be ready to do their duty on the appointed day. At the king's command, the decree went out by swift messengers, and it was also proclaimed in the fortress of Susa. Then, the king and Haman sat down to drink. But the city of Susa fell into confusion. Esther chapter 3 Sadly, the king is thinking he's just gotten rid of some renegades. He has no idea of the lies Haman has just told him. Haman is dreaming of revenge. But the people of Susa and surrounding areas are reeling with the news that all Jews, including children, were going to be killed on one specific day. I, I can't even imagine. For years and years, the Jewish people have lived among them. They were good citizens that caused no trouble. 
I have to wonder if Xerxes really understood what he was allowing and did he know how many people this would actually affect? It shows how disconnected he was from his people. The lots, or Purim as it's called, that Haman cast, he cast them before he even meets with the king. Think about that. He has chosen the event before he even gets approval for it. And it happens to fall right during the time of Passover. Passover. The story in Exodus 12 of the freedom from slavery of Egypt for the Israelites. Or Passover, the time in Joshua 5 when the Israelites enter the promised land. God saved his people then. Will he do the same now? The Persians were known for their decrees being final. They could not be changed, even by the king. Haman has put something in motion that cannot be undone. So what can we take away from this to apply today? Well, let me ask you, what would you do to get your own way? I mean, have you ever stretched the truth to bring someone to your way of thinking? I I have to admit that I have. And why? Well, most likely pride. And when pride is wounded, we find ourselves doing or saying things we wish we hadn't done or said. Have you ever noticed that when an animal is wounded, it will lash out in its pain? Even when someone tries to help, the wounded animal will snarl and bite the helper because the dog goes into protection mode because of their pain. And they lack the understanding that the person is actually there to help them and not cause more hurt. Wounded pride can look the same. A wounded person can lash out with words or even physical action because of the protection mode that rises up in them due to fear of, well, more pain. And this is Haman. The wounded pride that comes from Mordecai not bowing to him leads him to go all in on the Jews. He had to have been raised with a deep hatred of Jews. And the Jewish people had to be wondering, where's God? How could he let a decree like this happen? How can a man like Haman come into this kind of power? Well, it has been five years since Esther has become queen. Mordecai is still serving at the gate, and Xerxes still owes him his life. And now, we will begin to see why God has put all these people in these positions. Five years seems like a long time, but God's purposes aren't always accomplished in just a few days or weeks. And it's the same for us. God is working out his purposes in our lives. He's working years in advance when we don't even know it or realize it. And we find ourselves asking the same questions the Jews had been asking. How can God let this happen? How can God let that person have authority? Why do bad things happen? But just as he was then, God is putting things in motion for you, growing you right where you need it and guiding you to the opportunities that will move you forward, forward so that his purposes come to fruition in your life. So may we learn from Xerxes' disinterest, Haman's faults, and Mordecai's strengths in this passage. May we not allow others to tell us what to believe, 
but to learn for ourselves who God is. And may we love our enemies and not allow our pride to lead us down a path of selfishness. And may we seek to honor God above all others. Dear ones, may you know that God is at work. He will not leave you or forsake you because He loves you. Amen.